Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. I, on Christmas, uh, FaceTime my mom. All of her bees froze to death. Oh, <laughs> no. It's a tough Christmas. It's a tough Christmas. This is the press box. So, yeah. <laughs> the whole hive. She has four. Oh, oh, four whole hives are dead. Froze to death. With Grady and Bischoff. Um, Isn't there like a national crisis right now where we need as many yeah, bees right. as yes, possible? Yes, yes, there is. Yeah. On ESPN Las Vegas. Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Here we go. It's Ed, Tyler, Jared on a Wednesday. I forgot it was Wednesday. We were off Monday. We have Jason Fitz on today. I was doing the rundown. I'm like, oh, it's Tuesday. What's he coming on on a Tuesday for? It's Wednesday, Ed. Four-day yeah. week for us. We should have more of these. Oh. Where do I start my uh, campaign for a four-day work week? How do we week? get down to three? I wanted a four-day school week when I was in school. Let's make it a four-day work week as well. We can do both at the same time. I've got a question for you, Ed. Um, I think every morning to start the show, we should start predicting which NBA player will score 50 points that day because it keeps happening. Hot take? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it keeps happening. Last night, uh, Giannis. I'm going to go 55. with Kevin Durant today. Okay. The ne- Like every team in the league just about is playing today. Um, there's like 13 games, so there's a few teams that are off. But I'm going to go with Kevin Durant goes for 50 today. The only problem with this is I'm going to have to start looking up who's like resting for load management because that happens way too often. By the way, the the Oklahoma City Thunder scored a franchise record for points in regulation, 150. And they didn't even have Shea Gilgis Alexander yesterday, who's easily their best player. And they did it against the Celtics. I mean, I actually think 150, I'm surprised that is the record. I thought they, over time, they would have had more. At one point, they had Westbrook, Durant, and Harden. Yeah, I would have thought they Nah, 150. No, not not as good as uh, the Oklahoma City Thunder of yesterday, who, uh, let's see, who was their leading scorer? It was Josh Giddy with 25. Just like we all predicted. Yeah, they had five players with at least 20. So they, they scored 150 and didn't actually have a player go for 50. See, Which, my guy's not even playing tonight, right? Oh, who are you going to pick? I was going to pick Luca. Is he oh, playing? Well, that's like cheating. Pick like Devin Booker or something. No, I wanted to pick Luca. <laughs> Jared, go to the first bite. The first bite. Will Derek Carr allow the Raiders to trade him? Uh, let me ask you this. If he, he has a no trade clause, if he says no and they just ultimately waive him, and he goes and signs with whoever he wants. Doesn't he have to renegotiate? Yeah, his contract's done. Yeah. He's got to sign a completely new contract with the new team. But if team. they trade him, if whatever trade him contract, the contract right. and, and the Raiders probably have to pick up some of that because I don't know if anyone's taking on the whole deal. So, okay, let's go there first. Uh, Josh Dubow actually tweeted this out, saying that he thinks the Raiders will probably have to eat some of Derek Carr's contract salary to trade him. So... If he doesn't get cut in that three-day window after the Super Bowl, it's $33 million guaranteed for next year, right. and then there's a $7.5 million guarantee for, for the, the following, following season. Is it worth it for the Raiders to pay some of that salary to get a trade done and presumably well, get a better draft pick in return? I guess, yeah, I guess the question, right, becomes is what, what are you getting back for him? Because what here, are you getting yeah, back? Yeah, so here, here's... Uh, a hypothetical. Let's say they've agreed to a trade with, I don't know, what team do we want to say? The Carolina Panthers. All right? And Carr's okay with it. Carr's not going to reject it. The Panthers say, we'll take Carr on. We'll pay his entire contract. 
we're giving you a third round pick. Or the Panthers say, we'll take Carr, we'll give you a first round pick, but you're paying half of his guaranteed salary. You're paying $20 million. Oh. Is Mark Davis willing to pay $20 million to a, a player that's not pick? on his team to go from a third to a first? I don't know if Mark Davis is willing to do he that. He should be. He should be because it's a first-round pick. Yes. But I don't know if he was would be willing to do that to pay $20 million If he's not, sell for, the team. For a guy he's... I'm not, I, I just think it's a guy who, let's be honest, he's not big on, so I don't know if he'd allow himself to pay $20 million for him. Would he pay 10 Might pay 10 I think if you're the Raiders, it is absolutely worth it to pay half of Derek Carr's salary if that's how you get a first round. If you pick. get a first round pick out right. of it. Now, listen, maybe somebody, maybe it, there's enough teams that want Carr. Maybe it's like, oh, the Jets and the Panthers and the Bucks lose the Brady Colts. and they're, they're all like interested in Carr. And there's enough of a bidding war and Carr's willing to go and somebody offers you a first and to pay all of the salary. Then well, great. then you take that in a right. second. Um, but if that sort of bidding war doesn't happen, and if it, there's you know one or two teams in the mix, then like, well, we know uh, you've got quite a hard deadline of three days right. after the the Super Bowl, so there's our offer. We'll give you a third, or hey, you want to pay half of it? We'll give you a first for that. I think if you're the Raiders, it is 100 percent worth it to eat some of that salary and get the first round pick back, because like we've talked about plenty of times. How are you going to win the Super Bowl and maybe make it more simple? How are you going to win the division or even compete with to Pat win Mahomes this division? And Justin Herbert. You are there, there's really two ways to do it. There's either you've got to find your franchise quarterback. Now. Usually you do that by drafting one in the first round. So getting a first round pick helps. Or you could conceivably do it how the 49ers are built, which is be just really good everywhere else, and your quarterback is just sort of there. And you carry him along. And you do that by drafting really good players in the first round. Well, Either way, you need first round picks. It's proven in the last five years the drafting of really good players does not happen here. Well, um, there's a new regime. Now, there's, a new, there's a new regime. <laughs> Let's see how good they are drafting. But since it's going to be hard to be worse, I did this uh, study yesterday since 2018. It was just defensive players. Five, I think they had 14. Uh, five aren't in the league anymore. Oh, not even in uh, the league? No, not oh. even in the league. Three are still there. Farrell, uh, Crosby, and Amico Robertson. Farrell. Uh, Farrell. But I'm just saying, like, of all the ones you'd expect, they wanted to cut him after the second year. Yeah, exactly. He's still around. Um, so they haven't drafted well. Uh, so, we'll, yeah, you're right. We'll see what this new regime does. Maybe they're really, really good. Uh, the Panthers... I'm trying to think the Panthers top five right now. Oh, that's a good point. They probably wouldn't give up their pick. No, they're they're not top five. They're they'll be around the same place the Raiders are. So ten. Depending on what happens at the end of the season. Ten or eleven. Yeah, somewhere around that. Um so yeah, they probably uh, I don't know. You'd probably I think most teams, if you were con if you were convinced Carr was like your guy, you'd give up the tenth overall pick for him. Yeah, because you're not gonna get one of the top three guys right. anyway. So you might do that. So That'll be an interesting situation uh, in terms of what the Raiders can get. And if they do have to eat some of the salary, I would do it 100%, right? I'm, I'm on board with eat the salary, get the higher pick, if that's your options there. Now, back to the original question. Does Carr reject these trades? Because, so here's, here's something. Yesterday, David Carr, or two days ago, he was on NFL Network and talking about 
his brother, Derek Carr. And one of the interesting things he said was he, talking about Derek, is going to look for teams that have a stable situation between their head coach and their ownership. And so Derek Carr is in a situation where he can reject any trades and essentially force the Raiders to cut him in that three-day window. And then he gets to not necessarily completely pick, but pick his next destination in free agency. But my question is, if David Carr is telling us how Derek Carr is feeling, and we believe that he's going to look for stable ownership, stable head coach, how many teams have that, but don't have a quarterback? Have a quarterback. Yeah. Not many. No. I mean... If you're looking for a starting quarterback, I don't know how stable you are. Usually, your head coach is not in a very good position right. if you don't have the if quarterback. You don't have a quarterback. Because we can go through some of these teams, right? Carolina Panthers don't have a head coach, so you can't consider that stable. The Bucks, if Brady leaves, uh, Todd Bowles, I can't imagine, has very much stability there. The Jets, Robert Sala's entering his third year. They haven't been in the playoffs in the first two. He's probably going to be on a little bit of a hot seat next year. Uh, the Giants with Brian Dable. He's been impressive this year. It's been one season. He's probably not getting fired after year two. Um, I don't know if the Giants are going to want Derek Carr. The one that jumps out as might need a quarterback, stable ownership, stable head coach is the Pittsburgh Steelers. I don't know if they're going to want Derek Carr, but that's really the only one to me that's like you can look at and say the head coach is good, is is not going anywhere, and maybe they need a quarterback. Because the rest of them, if you have a head coach that's not going anywhere, it's because well, you probably have a really good quarterback. I don't know about really good, but you have a solid quarterback. Right. So, like, maybe you could throw the Patriots in there. Um, but I don't know if they would pay that much more to get Derek Carr over Mac Jones. Like, right. you'd rather have Carr than Mac Jones, but is he, you know, 30, what, a 28 million more or better than Derek Carr? Maybe, maybe not. So, it's just there's going to be almost no, if Derek Carr is genuinely saying, I need a stable ownership and stable head coach, but they need a quarterback. There's not going to be many teams that are, that fit that description, which means Carr's probably going to have to concede on something. You didn't put any Annapolis down here. They're really stable with the, uh, <laughs> with the uh, owner and coach. They're, they're, you gotta, you gotta believe in them. The owner does really like Jeff Saturday. <laughs> exactly. They're very stable. So it's just, it's a, it's a weird scenario, and I'm I'm curious to see what Carr's priorities actually end up being. Like, because he, I, I think it's a genuinely fair argument that Carr could just reject, say, I'm just going to reject every single trade you could possibly bring to me. I'm just going to reject them all and make you cut me. And then when he gets cut, all right, I'm a free agent. Right. Because I think he'll get more than forty million guaranteed if he signs. If he goes to free agency, I think he'll get more than forty million guaranteed over the life of a deal. Yeah, I, I think that he's a fifteenth whatever best quarterback in the league. Like he's going to get a good contract out of this. I don't think it's going to be hard for him to match the guaranteed money he currently has on his deal. The one issue for Carr in that because that would make it appear as he holds all the power. He can reject every trade, get cut, sign a new deal for more guaranteed money. The one issue is what if the Raiders don't cut him? What if he refuses all these trades and the Raiders say, well, we are not cutting you. We're keeping you on the roster because you have trade value. And Carr is like, well, so now I either have to accept a trade or just be in purgatory as a non-starting quarterback right. for a team, for a team that, that doesn't want contract. Me. So that's the, that's the main leverage play the Raiders have to sort of nudge Derek Carr into accepting a trade. So 
interesting situation. I'm curious to see the reports we get over the next uh, month or so before the Super Bowl, because I'm sure we'll get some in terms from, you know, Carr's agent or the Raiders leaking stuff, whatever it is, to sort of indicate where the Raiders are looking to trade him and where Carr would be willing to go. Um, because it's not going to be a long list of teams, but it should be a decent amount of teams. I just don't know how many of them are going to be great options for Carr to just walk into. Well, we know one good. thing. He's not retiring. Apparently not. No, he's not retiring. <laughs> Which we've said before. I mean, people are going to just keep going back to those quotes. And I would tell those people, okay, let's say you said the quotes. You're going to turn down $40 million? No. You're not going to turn down that money. So, I, and, you know, people are going to take shots at him. I don't think he's shot at him for that. At the time, he was the Raiders quarterback. He wanted to stay there. Whatever. Everyone says stuff. But at the end of the day, no one believed he was going to turn down the money he's going to make. I don't think. Did we talk about it when he said it? I don't think we believed him when he said it. No. No. That he was going to retire, no. that he would retire a Raider at this point. Than play so he's what, 31? Yeah, and he said this no. when he was like 29 or 30. Yeah. He's, he has said it several times over the last few years, but there's just no way he was turning down what he could make. Because I, didn't he also at one point sort of allude to Tom Brady playing into his mid 40s and being like, yeah, I can play for another yeah. decade or more or something like that? And it's like, well, that's unlikely to happen with one organization, right? I mean, how many quarterbacks stay with one organization for 20 seasons? Right. It's very few. So he was pretty much always going to end up playing for another team yeah. unless they actually started winning here, which never really it hasn't happened. happened. Yeah, it just wasn't reality. All right, coming up next, we'll get into some UNLV and Mountain West basketball as New Mexico became the final team to fall from the ranks of the unbeaten. Comes left, now back to the right. Harkless open for a three, but he, I don't know if it was deflected or what. No, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, that ball was a foot short, it, and they're going to give I mean, it to San Jose? Either it was blocked or it was fouled. I mean, what is it? Yeah, it, I mean, something happened. He didn't shoot the ball 18 feet from 19. And Kevin Kruger is furious. So the Rebels empty on their first possession as the officials missed either a deflection or a foul. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. So last night in the Mountain West, New Mexico lost for the first time this season. They were 14-0. They were the last unbeaten in college basketball, but they went to Fresno and couldn't survive Fresno State. By the way, Fresno State going into that game, 5-8 on the season, 142 in Ken Palm. Yeah. Um, Surprising that that's their first loss, although... They're lucky they're not 0-2. They needed a kind of a last-second shot to uh, beat Wyoming in Laramie. So here we go. Other than San Diego State, who came to UNLV, hard to win on the road in the Mountain West. So how many teams do we think the Mountain West ultimately gets in the NCAA tournament? Because there are a lot of teams that are, are close. There are a lot of teams that, if they put together a good Mountain West season, would be in. But how many teams are going to win 11 or more games in conference play? Two? It kind of feels like that's the max. Like that, yeah. we, that we might have a team that goes 13 and 5 and wins the we conference. We might have a team that is in before the tournament and then someone else wins the tournament and then that's it. Yeah. And, you know, right now the best, right now the best resumes are San Diego State, Utah State, and New Mexico. Those are the three that have the best shot as of right now. And then that second grouping is where you find uh, your Boise State, your UNLV type teams. Uh, Nevada's in there as well. I just, it feels like this conference is going to be so difficult to rack up a bunch of wins 
the teams are just not going to have the win totals to impress the selection committee. And they look at a lot more than win totals. Win totals is certainly not the only thing that matters. But if we get to the end here and there's a bunch of teams in the Mountain West that are 8 and 10, 9 and 9, 10 and 8, and especially a team like UNLV who didn't have an exactly impressive non-conference, it just seems hard to envision anything more than three and two actually might be I think two's the number at this the point. limit because it's, it's it's like it's a problem that the conference is is too good top to bottom basically like Fresno State probably gonna end up being like the second worst team in the conference uh, and they beat New Air Mexico. Force well and here's the thing about San Jose State they only lost by three at Boise State I think we got to start thinking they're a little at least a little better than we thought yeah they're fine. Yeah, they're like they're a team that's that's hard to beat. Yeah. Is what's gonna be San Jose State. They're not going to have an NCAA tournament resume, but they're going to ruin some NCAA tournament resumes by beating right. UNLV and right. other teams. So it just seems like the conference is too it's not good enough to put a bunch of teams in the tournament, and it's too good that'll end up keeping teams out of the NCAA tournament because you're just not gonna have free wins. You're not going to have four to five games on the schedule that are just, who, oh yeah, that's a win. Who won the conference tournament last year? Uh, who did win the conference tournament? Did Utah State win it last year over San Diego State? Okay. San Diego State was in before that tournament ever started. You could have something like that. You could have them kind of separate themselves and be in before this thing has even started and then have another team win it and then only have two teams. Boise State won it last year. Okay, so you have two teams. And here's the thing. Last year, the Mountain West got four teams in: Boise State, Colorado State, San Diego State, and Wyoming. It was a, a I just can't a big see year four this year. But here's the key for those four teams: their conference records: fifteen and three, fourteen and four, uh, thirteen and five, thirteen and four. Right. All of those teams won at least thirteen conference games. And right now, can I, you see that many teams winning thirteen? No. Let me see what, what is Ken, Ken Palm projections. They have San Diego State going fourteen and four. Utah State going thirteen and five. Next best Mountain West record is New Mexico at eleven and seven. Yeah. So that means uh, Nevada's projected at ten and eight. San Jose State's projected at eight and ten. Fresno State at eight and ten. UNLV at eight and ten. Boise State at ten and eight. Colorado State at seven and eleven. Like that's th- there's just a huge chunk of the conference that's going to basically go five hundred, and that's probably not enough at the end of the day to get into the NCAA tournament. Whereas if San Diego state and Utah state both go 14 and four and 13 and five, they'll both probably get in. Those will both probably be NCAA tournament teams. And then New Mexico, if they get to 11, they'll be in the bubble. If they get to, I mean, right now, 11, they've got one. That would be 24 wins. Yeah. So before the conference tournament, right. Um, That's the, and man, New Mexico's in a similar spot as UNLV. Their non-conference schedule sucks. So bad. That's a little bit of a reason that they went undefeated. By the way. They, like they played two top 100 teams, obviously beat them both. St. Mary's was on the road. That's, that's, that's their best win. Still going to be a good win at the end of the day, regardless. Right. And then Iona is actually 56th in Ken Palm right now. So that's a uh, decent win at the moment too. So they just didn't play a very difficult schedule. So they're, they're in a situation that UNLV that I've been talking about where where are your quality wins? Where do you get a quad one and Dayton. and a bunch of quad two wins? Like at the end of the day, New Mexico, they'll probably be able to point to St. Mary's. That's pro- that, that's got a good shot to be quad one because it was on the road. 
Iona might be quad two, depending on how good they finish. But then you're counting on everything else being in Mountain West play where you'll get a lot of quad two opportunities, but you won't get a ton of quad one opportunities. So we'll see how good this conference is at the end of the day. Um, but I think it's going to be too good that it keeps some of the teams out. Now, another question I have for you. UNLV is going to play New Mexico on Saturday. That game is already sold out. It's New Mexico's first sellout since 2015. They're 14-1. They're off to a terrific start. Is New Mexico in a better spot than UNLV to get back to being nationally relevant as a basketball program? Does it matter who likes them? In terms of in terms of the city, in terms of the in terms of the following, because here's the thing: when that team is good, when that team's good, and they they're pretty good now, they've already sold out UNLV. That town is absolutely insane about that team. They sell out. Uh, I've never seen the support at the conference tournament like they get when they're really good here. Does that matter to recruits when they show up there and they see the love and the kind of devotion for that team there, or it's it's Las Vegas? with all the lights and, you know, everything Las Vegas has, and, you know, you go in and there's 7,000 people there, and that doesn't really affect you as much. It's uh, it's on the list in terms of what matters to recruits. Like, you go to a game, and you're like, wow, this atmosphere is awesome. I yeah, want to play here. The pit is when they're good. But I don't know. It, it's going to depend on each recruit. I don't know that it's going to be extremely high on most players' lists. Like, it's going it to – maybe if, if you went – if there was a kid that was – deciding between UNLV and New Mexico. And he's like, I don't know which one to pick. And he went to a game at each arena this year. He That might sway him. But maybe there's a bunch of kids that are like, well, I'd much rather go to Las Vegas than somewhere than, in New Mexico. Albuquerque, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I, to me, it's, it's a fascinating comparison because pretty much for the last five to seven years, maybe even a little longer than that, you've got two programs that have good histories that have been down. Two programs that presumably should be in the top three or four of the mountain West, basically every single season that have not done that. And it's almost been a waiting game for which of these programs is going to get back first. And both got off to really good starts this year. UNLV big time stumble. Once they got into conference play, Uh, New Mexico 14 and 0, they did lose last night, but they certainly got the fan support back faster than I think UNLV would. Like yeah. if UNLV was fourteen and zero right now, would they sell out their next home game? Well, I mean, no. And they were eleven and one with the best team in the conference coming, and you know it wasn't a bad crowd, but it was seven thousand. Right now, it was New Year's Day, and New Year's Eve, New Year's Eve in the afternoon. So maybe that had something to do with it. Yeah, it should be more people there if it's New but, Year's Eve, especially in a day game. Yeah, one o'clock game should be so oh, yeah, free game. Yeah, exactly. So. If that game, if they're undefeated going into that game, how many more do you think they get? You think they get that many more? I, I don't think they if do. If they're undefeated going into that game, they're probably ranked, which might give you a little bit more buzz, and maybe you get, I'll, I'll say, 2,000 more people. 9 to 10? 2,500 more people to get you to 10,000. So undefeated, ranked 23rd in the country, playing San Diego State. And you only get ten thousand. I've I've said it before. I think the key for UNLV getting big crowds back, they have to go to the NCAA tournament, and then the following year they've got to get off to a good start and like be ranked or be close to rank to where people are like, oh, they're they, really back. They went to the tournament, and now they're, and they're really in back. position to go to the tournament again, again. Right, and they're playing a conference or non-conference schedule that's a lot better than it was this season. 
where you're getting home games, not against Southern Miss, but against, I don't know, an actual power five team, Mississippi State instead of Southern Miss or something. That's, I think, when UNLV would have its crowd back. That's a big ask, though, is, hey, go to the tournament and then be good again the next year to go back to the tournament. That's a hard thing to do. All right, coming up next, we're going to jump into the NFL with Lori Fitzpatrick. Let's do this. Let's not draft small players in the first 15 picks of the draft anymore in the first round. Let's not let's not get away from prototype. And I talked with Bill Parcells about this, Ron Wolf, and, and those early picks have to be prototype players. Big, 6'4", 225. Prototype, the way we designed it for each position, whatever the position requirement is. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is The Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. Joining us now is Lori Fitzpatrick. You can follow on Twitter at Lori Fitzpatrick and find her work at USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Good morning, Lori. Hi, Lori. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. All right. Uh, right off the bat, I am curious your thoughts on um, backup quarterback play because we just had it here. Jared Stidham plays against the 49ers, <laughs> throws for a bunch of yards, makes some great plays. But we've seen it. You know, Gardner Minshew comes in, looks really good for one week and then really bad for another week. Brock Purdy at the 49ers seems to be no problem. I'm curious your thoughts on like how much do we overreact to backup quarterbacks and their first or even second games when it's such a small sample size? They definitely, I think everybody kind of overreacts just because it's it's a new guy in there. Um, defenses don't have much film on the on them usually, so it's 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 not like offenses really have to open up the playbook much. Uh, they can run some basic things and and it's pretty successful. Uh, but that's why everybody can overreact because usually they turn out well, um, unless you have a guy like Gardner Minshew. Um, who defenses have film on, um, that becomes a little bit different. Um, and that's what we saw from him even, you know, last week against the Saints. So it's interesting. If we take that to the absolute extreme, if you don't have a good quarterback, should you just start a new quarterback every single week of the season? <laughs> yeah, if you could, that would be great. That would be <laughs> that would work out fantastic. <laughs> Uh, what did what did you make of Jared Stidham's performance against the 49ers? I think he did pretty well. So he was he was accurate. He had really good placement, especially in the red zone. He had that one um, high point catch to to Devontae, uh, Adams. So he he can really he can really sling it, right? He 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 checked down the ball, and generally um, quarterbacks, especially backup quarterbacks, they're not. They're not going. They're either going to never check it down because they're going to go for it, or they're going to check it down all the time, right? But he checked it down when it mattered. Um, those guys don't ever want to really throw it away, um, so it, they have to have some kind of poise uh, and you know be able to deal with pressure in order to to do that. And he was looking defenders off. He was throwing at defenders' backs. He was keeping his eyes downfield with pressure in his face, especially with Nick Bosa. I think he did pretty well, to be honest. And I guess that could be one of the that could be considered an overreaction. But no, I think he did well. Like it's it's the eye test, right? And he passed the eye test. How much better, and as much as he's improved this year, I know you uh, are close to the Jags in terms of their team. How much better uh, can Trevor Lawrence get? 
how much like better can he get than yeah. he already is playing yeah, exactly. now? Exactly, and he's playing now. Um, well, I think I think this is uh, that's a good question, right? Because I think this is the best he can play with the roster that surrounds him. He's only going to get better if the guys are better around him. Uh, so you know that's, but he's done fantastic, you know, with uh, with Doug Peterson right now, right? So he went from he went from what they only had three wins last year to to now being a a contender for the playoffs. He's not even the last six or seven games. It's all these sixteen games, sixteen weeks that he's played. He's a top ten quarterback. So generally, over the last couple weeks, you know, I was posting a lot on Twitter. Oh, over these last seven games, over these last eight games, because the first half of the season was just like, you know, them kind of trying to figure it out. But now that you know we're in the last week of the season, when you look at the top ten quarterbacks, he's actually up there. Uh, so I think he can only get better with the guys that get better around him. Has there been anything that's jumped out to you that Doug Peterson has done to help Trevor Lawrence, or is it just, hey, he's not Urban Meyer? Yes, that mostly the latter because it's (laughs) it's being an even keel, right? It's being that attitude that no matter what I got you, it's not like kicking the locker when you get upset because then it's like how do you react to that as a player? You know, it's it's just that even keel attitude that he has. And if you remember when he was with the Eagles, it was kind of like that whole underdog mentality, and that's like that's like a staple in Jacksonville, right? They've been they're always the underdog. They've that's pretty much their whole mo right now. So that's what they can kind of go off and say, hey, you shouldn't have any pressure because this is what they expect. They expect you to lose. You know, they don't expect you to be great. So it's easier to, as a player to you know to have a guy that you know that's always going to have your back. So when you mess up you don't have to get too down on yourself because you know that you can always kind of bounce back. Uh, despite or Besides Minshew, have you seen anything that would make the Eagles susceptible uh, when Hurts comes back? Um, well, the, the injury to Lane Johnson is kind of a big deal. Um, they're, they're right tackle. Uh, it's just it, picking up the stunts and against defensive lines that, that just have, you know, that are sound. Like the 49ers, if they see them late in the playoffs and Lane Johnson isn't able to come back, that, that might be a little bit of an issue. But, um, you know, when Hurts does come back, uh, hopefully it's in the next week because it looks pretty rough out there with Minshew. But at least Hurts can kind of freeze the defense a little bit because he has that third option of using his legs. Minshew kind of didn't. They didn't. The defenses didn't fall for anything on an RPO, you know, with the option to keep it, that they weren't, they were not guarding the outside. So with Hertz in there, it'll be a little bit different. Um, but definitely that Lean Johnson injuries is kind of a question mark on that offensive line. Uh, obviously it's the NFL where we get one game playoffs and anybody technically can win, but how many teams do you think can legitimately win the NFC? Like, should we be looking at Tampa or green Bay going on a run or is it just a few teams at the top? Uh, well, right now it's kind of tough to say, uh, green Bay is still kind of up in the air. Obviously you can never count out, uh, Tampa Bay and Tom Brady, right? Because he's Tom Brady. Uh, but, I don't know. I would say, I would really say that the 49ers and the Eagles are the real uh, contention. 
And those those are really the, the, the two teams that I think are going to be in the NFC. Um, I, I just think that it's a little bit too late for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to kind of make it. And I don't want to eat my words because you can never <laughs> count on Tom Brady, right? But I just don't think it's going to happen this year. Uh, watching something this morning that I'm interested because in, we didn't talk about Dallas there in the NFC. He's thrown a lot of picks. Uh, I got to go with Dallas. Uh, he's oh, thrown yeah, a lot Dallas. of picks. <laughs> Have you seen anything on tape? I mean, he, he, he Dak has thrown picks lately. Should that be worrisome, or do you think there's just so good offensively that they can overcome if he has another one of those days in the playoffs? No, I just, I just don't think he has like that spark anymore. Um, he's not really running the ball good. Uh, he, it just, it doesn't seem like he's he's seeing the field as as well as he used to either. Like he's just he's throwing inaccurately. I really, I think that he's hurt, and <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It just something about him just seems off. Um, that's why they have to lean on the run game more than ever. Um, in in my opinion. If I had you pick between the Vikings losing in the first round or the Vikings going to the Super Bowl, which one do you think is more likely? Um, them losing in the first round. <laughs> but I don't. I think if I had to choose between the Vikings or the Cowboys, um, I would. I would. Hmm, I guess I would probably pick the Vikings. But I don't think that they're gonna. Um, you know, I don't think they're gonna go all the way or anything. So is there a big difference, a big gap in your mind between the top teams in the AFC and the top teams in the NFC? Uh, in a way, I think there's more contenders in the AFC. Uh, you know, if if you just look at, you know, the the Bengals and the Bills and the and the Chiefs itself, it's just like there aren't as many top teams in the NFC as there are in the ASC, like more like standout teams. Well, she is Lori Fitzpatrick. Again, follow her on Twitter at Lori Fitzpatrick and read her work at USA Today's Touchdown Wire. Lori, as always, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Lori. Appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I hope you have a good one. Too. too. So there is Lori Fitzpatrick from USA Today's Touchdown Wire on the NFLs. We get down to the final week of the regular season coming up next we'll jump into the nfl and what exactly they plan to do with their schedule i'm not sure uh where that where that came from uh five minutes warm-up never never was never crossed my mind personally uh we never frankly it never crossed our mind to talk about warming up to resume play that's that's ridiculous you're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. ESPN talked to Jordan Rooney, who is a friend of DeMar Hamlin, and he told ESPN uh, that Hamlin still sedated, but that the doctors had saw readings overnight that they were hoping to see, uh, saying that it is promising signs of progress for DeMar Hamlin, who is still hospitalized uh, and in critical condition. Yeah, they said uh, either that or his uncle said yesterday that um, he's now only needing the ventilator for 50% yes. instead of 100%, which is, I would assume, is good news that he's now breathing 50% on his own. Yes, uh, I would assume that's good news as well. So uh, we will continue, hopefully continue, to have updates on DeMar Hamlin throughout the week. On the 
NFL side of this. The NFL yesterday announced that the Bengals and Bills game will not be resumed this week, uh, but that the NFL also has not made a final decision on if the two teams will finish their game. Um, week 18 is expected to go on as scheduled. So we're going to play week 18. The Bengals and Bills will have one less game than everybody else after that. And I guess we'll wait and see if the NFL decides to do something. What options do you think they have? Talking about this yesterday with a few people. Um, one, okay, I think you play this week out and see where you stand in seedings and all of that because I pretty sure that the seedings could be decided this week without the result of that game, or am I wrong there? I think, I think you're they, wrong because okay. if can if Kansas City wins, beats the Raiders, then Buffalo uh, would need to win to keep the one seed. Okay, but and if Kansas City, to... but if Kansas City loses, then Cincinnati could catch Kansas City for the two. For the two. Seed. Okay, and, so that game matters a lot. Right. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I thought that you play this week's games, you do a standalone game next week, and you take the bye out of the Super Bowl week. So you you push the playoffs back a week and eliminate and you that eliminate bye the bye leading up to the Super Bowl. That um, seems like a pretty obvious solution for the NFL, right? Where you have you always have this built-in bye week between the AFC and NFC yeah. Championship game and the Super Bowl, and it's a buffer there that you can take advantage of and remove if you run into a situation like this. There was a lot of talk about that uh, during the COVID year removing that bye week right. before the Super Bowl if there were games that were canceled right. and needed to be made up after the season. The NFL managed to push through and get all their games in, so they didn't have to do that either. I miss Tuesday night football. I think the I think the best solution is to not play the game and just use win percentage. Uh, they've done that before. Yeah. Well, I'm they, to th- they were right. Or they, they were, were going, going to, to do it in that the was COVID the plan year. Yeah. in the COVID year to do win percentage. They were they were prepared to say if we have teams that don't play the full schedule, we'll go do by win, win percentage. percentage. And so, if you do win percentage right now, because there's uneven games played among the top three in the AFC, Buffalo's thirteen and two, Kansas City's thirteen and three. So Buffalo would be ahead of Kansas City. Now they both have a game to play at the uh, in Week 18, so that could change. And then Cincinnati's eleven and four behind both of them to me i think that's the best solution i mean is if buffalo wins this weekend they're 14 and two and two the the team that would be getting uh, hurt by using win percentage would be kansas city because because kansas city would be a half game behind and buffalo would have not played cincinnati who's who's really good a team that could actually beat them but I don't know if you're if you're Kansas City, how much are you actually complaining if you get the two seed by half a game behind Buffalo? I don't know in this situation, outwardly, publicly, anyone's going to complain. But inwardly, I mean, just like uh, you might be privately. I I just I mean privately, you might say we would have preferred them to play that game. You would, but like if they win, it doesn't matter. And you, you, it's not like they're taking control out of it. It's not like the chiefs control their own destiny. And now all of a sudden they don't control their own destiny. Right. Buffalo does. Right. So it just, to me, it seems like, and by the way, even in that scenario, doesn't Buffalo hold the tiebreaker over Kansas city? I would think 
Yes. Yeah. yeah, I think so. So I think even in that scenario, I don't think Kansas City could catch them. So mm. that if, makes a lot of difference. Yeah. So I, to me, it, that that seems like the best solution where you just don't play the game. You don't make Buffalo go back to Cincinnati and play a standalone game. Um, but I could understand if seeding came down to it and why you would push that through and why would you make them play? Man, can you... Can you imagine the context, the backdrop of a broadcast for a standalone Cincinnati Buffalo game after what happened after with what DeMar happened Hamlin? on that field? Yeah. Does would the NFL even want that? Well, the entire broadcast would be about what yeah. happened. That would, yeah. I mean, you you couldn't you couldn't avoid it. Like just from a narrative standpoint. Right. I don't know if the NFL wants that. I don't know if they want to have, hey, here's this right. game played all by itself because know, this happened in that, in that instance, we'd be, you know, 12, 13 days removed right from but what happened with DeMar Hamlin. This might be the only time that the media could actually just be like, well, you know, these teams really like each other. They came together in a moment of tragedy. And uh, so it's going to be very, it's going to be very weird for them to play each other. Yeah. I don't And by the way, if I'm Cincinnati and, and Buffalo, I don't know if I want to play that yeah. game because then, right. like, just from a so you have you've got two factors. You have Demar Hamlin, which probably makes you not want to play that game. Might make you not want to play this weekend either. But even from just the competitive standpoint, if they had a standalone game, now whoever your opponent is gets a week off, but you don't. Like you're playing Cincinnati or you're playing Buffalo while whoever your opponent's going to be in the first round. First round of the playoffs. Gets a bye. Now, Buffalo would be playing for the bye and then would get right. their normal bye, but your Cincinnati, Cincinnati be like, wouldn't be. be like, wait a minute, we're giving, uh, who would they be playing? We're giving the the Patriots or somebody a bye here? We don't want to do that. Like we want to, we don't want that. So there's a lot that goes into this, and I I think just not playing the game at all is probably the the best the best overall answer for the NFL. Well, they and, have to do something because everyone's bunched up there, and it means a lot to yeah. you know three teams. Yeah. Well, two teams at least. Yeah. Um, here was a suggestion, by the way, from Mike Florio. If Bills and Bengals gets canceled, should a Bills-Chiefs AFC title game happen at a neutral site? If this, if this game gets canceled? So, so basically the idea, if Bills and Bengals don't play, and you have uneven records, and the Bills get the one seed with an uneven record, right? And if, the Chiefs advance. If the Chiefs the and AFC Bills play in the AFC title game, you basically That's you'd it. be saying Kansas City didn't get the opportunity to win to the, get one the one seed, seed because the Bills didn't play all of their games. So the reward of being the one seed in that scenario is you get a home game. In this scenario, no, we're going to play in, I don't know, Indianapolis or something no, like that. No, I mean, that. we know Allegiant Stadium will be open. Oh, send them to Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's not going to be any games there that that, that weekend. I don't How? Know, like, there might be a concert. There might be. They can't, they can't cancel a concert, though. It's gonna hey, it's gonna be like the Aces when they couldn't have Game Five of the yeah, WNBA in their own, Finals in their own arena. Because ah, oh, sorry, we booked some event that nobody's ever seen before in their lives. Uh, I would I would say no. If that happens, no. You Buffalo gets the home game. No, if you're determining if you're determining one seed on winning percentage, and you're determining who the one seed is. Right. I mean, they're the one seed. That's how you've determined it. <laughs> so that's that's how you play it out. Now let me ask you this. If you're the NFL, you have this idea here. You shopping that game around. 
He's saying, hey, Indianapolis, how much money are you throwing our way to host this game? Well, it is the NFL. Yeah, hey, Vegas, how much money are you throwing our way to host this game? We host everything. <laughs> we'd, be lining, we'd be lining up to get that game. Wouldn't you? Would we pay we for that? We lined up for the Pro Bowl. Would we exactly. Pay, would we pay for that? Like, it, it probably wouldn't be just, hey, pay us money. It's it's how they do events when it's like, hey, we need this all these certain bullet point right. uh, things. They send the book. But, like, in all honesty, if the NFL just said, hey, uh, you, you give us $100 million, you could host this game. <sighs> I don't know if I'd do that. <laughs> what, Jared uh, brings up a good point. When... When exactly is the Pro Bowl? Is this this isn't going to run into it, is it? Someone's... Oh wait, they can't skip the week before the Super Bowl because the Pro Bowl. It's Bowl's the Pro that Bowl. Week. That that. Oh my God! Can they just skip the Pro Bowl instead, and we don't have to worry about <laughs> no, dodgeball? You make the you make the crowning achievement of you make the like main thing at the Pro Bowl a uh, yeah. We're gonna go ahead and retroactively have the Bills and our uh, Bengals play. Man, so would they? Okay, your idea of skipping the bye week before the Super Bowl. And having games, yeah would would they cancel the Pro Bowl? Would they would they move would the Pro Bowl to after the Super would Bowl? Even know, they'd probably move it till after it. Would anyone I realize mean, it? It's the first year of the Pro Bowl games where they're not going to play a football game. They're going to play dodgeball and flag football and everything else. Oh, your idea might get the Pro Bowl canceled. I'm on board because I don't care about the Pro Bowl at all. Like. Uh, maybe actually, I'll actually probably be more interested this year if they're playing cornhole or something like that. Right. That actually dodgeball be a little would be bit fun. More fun. I mean, they, they've done dodgeball in the past, and it was like the one event I watched and thought, oh, that was fun. They do it at the, the Las Vegas ballpark. Where, where's the home run derby? Oh, yeah. Who can swing a bat in the NFL? Let's yeah. go. Get up to the plate and start swinging for the fences. He's not be in the NFL anymore. Foster Moreau to get to the Pro Bowl. He had some bombs <laughs> out there.